This is the essentials. 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 Episode number nine, we're feeling fine, John. Carrying on. <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> I know. Maybe the worst rhyme possible. Maybe we should plan out our intros. Maybe that's a lesson learned after eight shows. Oh, geez. But, you know, st- <laughs> typical of us, then we're going to start the year. We're going to start our New Year's predictions three weeks into the new year. But we're not really going to do a prediction show, per se, are we, John? I, I think our plan was to do prediction show, and we started talking about this two or three weeks ago, but just given the holidays and, and busyness, uh, now we're going to just, what, touch on a few key issues in a few relevant countries and talk about where we see these going. So kind of 2019 predictions, but maybe more targeted. Yeah, I think we'll look at sort of what's going to happen the next month, the next six months, the next 12 months in three nations in particular, and then perhaps we'll take a stab at the the world in general right after. So we'll start with Uruguay. <laughs> the, the the country that is on the uh, the tips of everyone's tongues. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, why don't we actually look a little bit closer to home, but not quite at home? U.S. Yeah. Let's okay. let's have a look at what's been going on down there. Nothing. It's nothing in the quiet. news. Nothing that I've seen. Moving on then. Back to Uruguay. <laughs> <laughs> so a little chaotic. A little chaotic. Um, United States maybe not even open for business right now. The U.S. is closed. And has been for 25 days, I want to say. Yeah, longest shutdown in history. Now, of course, it's only, you know, uh, one quarter shutdown, isn't it? Essential services are going, um, they've found a way to keep a lot of things open. That's been a bit of a concern in itself. Every administration is going to have its own approach to a shutdown like this. Um, But it's looking long and maybe more to the point, Tom, we're not really seeing a lot of potential for a solution. The first shutdown that has been initiated by a sitting president, usually it's Congress shutting down the president. In this case, it was it was the Donald making the decision. And when that decision happened, Republicans were in control of the Senate and Congress. That's no longer the case, so they're further apart. There is more of a divided power situation, so it's, it's less likely they're going to be able to solve it. But how you get into a shutdown when you control both houses of Congress and the executive, that's one that people will have to mystify over for decades to come like so much about this administration it's yeah. uh, it's unique it's right. uh, a bit of a mystery a bit of an enigma but here's the central question john it's donald wants 5.7 billion dollars to build a wall the the democrats have said they're not going to give funding for building a wall not even a dollar and this is the impasse and this is the central question so i guess what i might ask you then is is this the hill that donald's going to die on i think it is because we had an agreement Before the shutdown even happened, there was an agreement in place, a verbal agreement. Everybody was signing off on it, and then Trump went and turned on his TV, turned on his radio. The Limbas, the Hannity's of the world said, no, he's selling us out. He's capitulating on the key issue that we all voted for was the wall. So we went back and said, actually, no deal unless we get funding for the wall. And of course, Tom, it's worth pointing out. You mentioned that figure, $5.7 billion. Well, the wall's probably costing, well, I don't know, three, four, five times that. So even if he gets the money for the wall, we just 
we're going to see this again, you have to assume, in the coming months and years. And probably that's a reason why the Democrats aren't willing to yeah. give any funding for this wall, because yeah. you start with 5.7, and then six months down the road, maybe he's asking for another 5 or 10. And if you capitulate now, who's to say or what's to say you're not going to capitulate next time as well? Yeah, Democratic House leader Nancy Pelosi calls it immoral. That might be going too far, but you know the Democrats, to their credit, at least in my perspective... They're not saying we're, like Donald Trump couches it in terms of border security. The Democrats are willing to fund border security. They're not willing to fund a wall where it's not necessary. And there's nothing immoral about border security. It's, no. it's in you know, the national interest of every nation to have control over who comes and who goes into their nations. This is, Canada does this, Britain does this, Uruguay, as we mentioned earlier, they'll do this as well. And it's a way to prevent things like communicable diseases from coming into your nation. It suspends plague. It, you keep the wrong elements. I mean, border security is an important thing. And in particular, the United States is a target around the world. They need border security. And as we talked about on the previous show, it's only going to be an escalating issue as there's rising numbers of immigrants, migrants, refugees around the world due to various economic and climate reasons. Do you see the shutdown lasting a month? Uh, more. You see it going on I, into March? Yeah, I see it going on maybe even into the summer. Wow, okay. So I, I'm going to say the Trump that, that a deal is struck that allows Trump to save face. I don't know what that deal is going to be. I don't see this going past um, February. I can't, I can't see that. Now, one of the potential solutions that people were pointing to is Trump could declare an emergency, a state of emergency to get the funding yeah. through the military. The problem is that still doesn't solve the shutdown. So in, if I were to predict what's going to happen in a month's time... He's going to declare a state of emergency. He's going to demand that the funding come. The Dems, Democrats are going to challenge us. It's going to go into a legal battle. While we're waiting for the legal battle, I think they'll open up government. Okay. So that's how I see it rolling. Which actually doesn't seem like a terrible way for it to end. I just worry that, you know, if Trump declares a state of emergency, gets the money to fund at least that portion of the wall, well, now he's going to try to launch something else get another win out of the shutdown. Well, hey, I've given capitulated on that. I've given you guys a win. Mm. Now I want something else instead. Well, and it's interesting that just recently he has proposed a deal whereby he gets the funding for the wall. On on the flip side, he's going to give money towards DACA, which, uh, which the hardcore Trump supporters yeah. are really dead set against. Not money, Tom, but a, an extension Sorry, to yeah, DACA, yeah. a postponement. But the thing is, that's already being held up anyway. And it's a weird one to me, too. So you're saying, well... The Republicans want funding for a wall. The Democrats want DACA. Are you saying that the Republicans don't want a solution to DACA? That's a right. weird one, right? Right. Surely that's got to be a, a issue that's kept on its own. This, to me, is one of the issues with American politics. They always conflate separate issues. But deal with the funding, right. deal with the shutdown, yeah. deal with DACA and your immigration system separately. You have to. And you see from his his base responses already. I mean, the you know, blonde psychopath Ann Coulter commented, we elected Trump and we got Jeb with a, with a reference to the DACA thing. So basically she's saying he, if he capitulates this offer of his to, uh, to deal with DACA in exchange for funding for the wall, it's, it's weak, it's spineless, it's, you know, so she's very vocally against any such deal. Like and, that. and Trump is not a total idiot. He can lose Paul Ryan, he can lose Mitch McConnell, he can lose various people out there. He cannot lose Ann Coulter, he cannot lose Rush Limbaugh, then the game's over and he gets impeached and maybe imprisoned. You can't lose those people. As if the wall wasn't enough, John, Mueller inquiry, impeachment efforts, a BuzzFeed report that suggests that Donald 
advised Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. Which seems quite believable. It does, from <laughs> what we know of Donald. Uh, interesting that the Mueller team has come out and denied that that yeah. is true. That's an interesting move. A rare public statement from that um, group, from Mueller and his team. Of course, all the media weren't saying it's impeachable. They were all saying, if true, it's impeachable. That's still gotten them in trouble with Trump. But it goes without saying, Tom, as the months go on, we're going to see more of these bombshells, at least troubling things coming out of this whole investigation. Eventually, the Democrats are all going to be on board. Eventually, there will be enough for them to get into impeachment proceedings. Surely, that will be an end game that we'll see in 2019. Interesting that BuzzFeed is standing by their reporting. They've come out just today and said that the history will prove that their reporting is accurate. They stand by their sources. If this is true that he has ordered Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. I can't even see the Republicans trying to block impeachment in this case. And you have to figure there's worse things coming out of the Mueller inquiry that we haven't heard about yet. I mean, surely. It's remarkable how silent it's been from the Mueller team. And I think that's amazing in this day and age, just how quiet it's been. It makes you think that there's something big coming. Well, even just the fact that it's still going on means there's still things for them to investigate. If they would have stopped it, presented, that means that's all they've got. They're still investigating. They're still looking into it. There's still more there. In the next six months, I think we're going to find out. I, from, from what we can gather, it sounds like the investigation is wrapping up. It's going to be interesting to see. And the new attorney general, by the way, has come out and said he's going to offer full support to the Mueller investigation. Far, yeah. um, he was asked point blank during his confirmation hearings whether or not if the president had, had asked someone to lie on his behalf, that would be considered an impeachable offense. He said that it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a guy who is not going to put a screeching, a screeching halt on the Mueller investigation. And in fact... Um, he and Mueller were friends growing up. So um, there's an interesting relationship there. At least so it seemed. So you get to the point, Mueller presents a report. You, I would also presume, I mean, there's a lot of people in the Democratic Party itching for impeachment to begin. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there, from my perspective, there is enough there, Tom. But I think given the scope of Mueller's inquiry, you wait until that's presented, don't you? You do, you do. And I think when the Mueller inquiry comes out and the the evidence and the facts are presented, I think what you're going to see is enough for impeachment. And then I think the articles of impeachment will go through. And so I'm calling on the show that within the next six to 12 months, Donald Trump will be impeached by Congress. Of course, the hard one is will he be impeached by the Senate? I think a lot of us can presume that the democratically held House of Representatives impeaches or or votes to move it to the Senate. Do you see that from the Republicans, the way that they were ready to do on Nixon before he resigned? It it probably, in my opinion, just it's going to be a question of where is the groundswell? Where is the public mood at that point? Is there enough of a smoking gun and enough public information out there that they can no longer hedge their bets? Is that the question? Yeah, and I think that's going to be, I think the answer is that there will be. that, that's just a feeling I get. I don't have anything to base it on other than my own feelings. But I could also see a Nixon-type resignation coming mm-hmm. through in the end. And, and I could see it resolving itself that well that way. And I think by the time 2019 wraps up, we're going to have President Mike Pence, Oof. which is just a horrible thought. Now, I think in, in some ways I agree with you. In some ways, Trump might resign before impeachment reaches the Senate, if not just to protect himself and his family members, that, his yeah. son, maybe his daughter who hasn't been... I think as much caught up, but a lot of the family and Jared Kushner, of course, deeply Mm. involved. I'm not sure I agree with you though. I don't think the Republicans are ever going to flip. I just think they care too much about power in their long-term electoral prospects. I think that they would vote to keep him in power and there will be a scrap. And I think it gets even uglier. Um, And I think 
Trump, given, you know, what he said in the past, if it comes towards the Senate, he's going to start saying some pretty violent things, some mm-hmm. pretty, um, you know, uh, divisive things. And, and I don't like where that goes. I see this as an existential moment for the Republican Party. Sure. They're going to be talking about it in, for generations to come, and I think this is a generational moment. By the end of the year, you're going to see the Republican Party fractured, kind of like it was during the Tea Party days when they were sort of at their heyday, but you're going to see the, the Trump Party of the Republican wing, and you're going to see the traditional Republican wing. And they may stay together as Republicans, but... Boy, there's going to be a lot of infighting in that organization. So I was suggesting very briefly here, Tom, that there might be a kind of a unity ticket proposed for the 2020 presidential election. Right. People were talking about maybe Joe Biden leading that. He's getting a little old. Do you see that as something not to necessarily siphon off the Republican, the the centrist wing of the Republican Party long term, but to give a solution heading into just that one election on the presidential ticket? What a remarkable thing that would be, having a, a Democrat leading the ticket with a Republican as VP. I, you know, I, it's a nice thought. I don't see it happening. Maybe it depends how far left the Democrats go. States and Britain are having a competition to see which country can cause the most upheaval in the world. It began in 2016. <laughs> every every time Britain does something with Brexit, America does Trump. America does the government shutdown. Britain doing Brexit still, I Again, guess. somehow. <laughs> it seems like this is the never-ending story of will they or won't they. But, you know, a lot of things have changed just in recent weeks, John. The Brexit deal that Theresa May negotiated got absolutely smashed in the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. So it's looking uh, dire, and and part of the problem is that the the deadline, or at least what we thought of the deadline for Article 15 for Britain to leave the UK is rapidly approaching, end of March, right? 29th. Right. Um, So what do you see as the options for May and the British government. So it's a really interesting moment in British politics because Theresa May got hammered on the Brexit vote, which prompted Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party to ask for a confidence vote, which makes sense. She survives the confidence vote, which in and of itself is curious because she'd survived a party confidence vote just (laughs) last month. I don't know how she keeps surviving, but she has. So we have Theresa May hanging on as Prime Minister of Britain. Now, for me... And not, not just for me, but I think she's got five choices. These are the five choices that I see that she has. And then maybe we can postulate which one we think is going to happen. All right, hit us. Number one, she can float the same Brexit deal that got absolutely hammered in the house. <laughs> it's a real possibility. Really? And I, I could see that coming through. Yeah, because okay. she'll say, I've won the confidence vote. Now you got to prove your confidence to me. That's okay. what you might say. She can go back to the EU and try for a better deal. There is no way on God's green earth that the EU is going to start giving more money or more deals to Britain. For the EU, they can smell blood in the water. The EU wants Britain to stay. There's no chance of a better deal there. They're giving up a winning hand at that point. She could go back to the British people and say, we're doing a no-deal Brexit. God help us all if that happens. I don't think anyone really knows what will happen beyond economic catastrophe for Britain. Yeah, and, and nobody in her party in British Parliament, in any party, wants that. That's right. Uh, number four, she could posit a new referendum on Brexit. In this case, I think it would be a, a Brexit referendum on the deal she's struck. And I right. see this as a real 
possibility. Increasingly likely. And, and some people say, hey, it's undemocratic. We already voted on this. But there's a few things to say about that. Firstly, there was so much uncertainty, misinformation during that original Brexit campaign in 2016. I think now you are giving people a more informed decision. And that's, you got to see as a democratic movement. The other thing is, since that time, since the Brexit vote in 2016, you've had a UK election, a federal election, and it's been a lot of the people elected since then who've been voting down May's plan. That's part of the democratic process too, right? So if the people that were sent to the British Parliament are saying, no, we don't like this, that's that's another way that the democratic process is playing out, and you can't call that undemocratic to go back to them now. She can spin it in a, in a way that where it's not repeating the old referendum because you could argue the old referendum was a referendum on should we explore Brexit. Yeah. Yes, we've explored it. Here's the deal. Here's the new referendum. Interestingly, if it comes to a new referendum, I'm pretty confident that the Remainers will smash that referendum. And one of the more important reasons why is since the 2016 Brexit vote, mm-hmm. 1.9 million old people have died in Britain and you've got 1.9 or 2 million young people entering the voting force. And that was the Democratic that favoured Remain. Absolutely. The last option, she could call a general election. I don't think this is likely. She's just survived a competence vote. We're only a year out or a year and a half out from another general election. I say between now and the end of the year, we're going to see a, a new referendum on Brexit. And I think I agree with you. The only thing is I don't think they would smash it. I think there would be a narrow vote to remain and maybe that leaves people very unsettled because it's still such a close vote. The nice thing is that, that Brits, at least to their credit, are are polite, are a little bit more uh, unwilling to resort to violence and less heavily armed. So You've you know, never that, been to a football match, I guess. Well, okay, <laughs> but, but fire in the streets, yeah, okay. mm, is it as likely as fire at Wembley? Not in my opinion. juxtapose the history of Britain, Canada, and the United States, I think you'll find that Britain and the United States have very exciting histories with lots of turmoil. Canada, we're a little bit more milquetoast, I guess. No, we come to peaceful <laughs> agreements. We negotiate. You're not un- pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> I think 2019 is going to see Canada reflecting its history in the same way that Britain and the United States reflects theirs. Now, we do have an election coming up in 2019. That's what you're getting at? It is. Where, yeah, that's where I'm going. Okay. So you're picking uh, Maxime Bernier's People's Party to win every seat nationwide? Uh, yes, yeah, a, a staggering victory, and uh, he'll carve a trench and allow Quebec to float off into the <laughs> Atlantic. So so we, there is an election coming up. It's October the 21st, John. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Something like that. October yeah. the 21st, Trudeau has said that he's not going to call an early election. So uh, by the end of October of this year we are going to know who the next or continued Prime Minister of Canada is. My prediction is another narrow majority victory for Trudeau. You think the same? Yeah, I, I can't see any other result, and there's a few reasons why, and I think the reasons why it's good, we're going to remain as we are is the story of 2019. What do you mean? Well, <clears throat> my issue is that just like in Britain, where you got Theresa May who seems like she's dead in the water. Your alternative is Jeremy Corbyn, and nobody wants him. 
Andrew Shear, you're referring to Andrew Shear. Like I just yeah. see him as as completely unelectable. I think he's devoid of any charisma. I don't see any new ideas coming out of the Conservative Party, and I think socially he's even more conservative, arguably, than Stephen Harper was, which is one of the reasons he got pushed out. Voters do have short memories, but maybe not that short. It was only four years ago that people really resigned themselves to Trudeau and the Liberals instead of Harper and the Conservatives. That was kind of the A versus B choice. And I think people still, in some ways, Tom, feel that way about Harper and the Conservative Party, now led by Andrew Scheer. Not that Canadians won't go that way again, but just not right now, not yet. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, you know, with the the Bernier, I think, I don't see Bernier being a big influence on Canadian Parliament. However, I think he's going to split the right-wing vote in some ridings that are pretty tight races enough that it will help the Trudeau Liberals more than it will help any sort of uh, right-wing conservative parties in Canada. Meanwhile, the hope from conservatives that the liberal vote would be split, the left-wing vote would be split amongst liberals and the NDP, that's looking less likely as Jagmeet Singh's fortunes seem to kind of peter out. You know, four years ago, John, we looked at in, in August, I remember watching the polls carefully because it looked like there was a moment where we could have had Prime Minister Tom Mulcair and yeah. possibly an NDP majority middle of August. It didn't turn out that way. And, you know, four years later, it seems ludicrous to even suggest that Jagmeet Singh could even be the official opposition. Yeah. Like there's no there's no chance for the NDP right now. If you could bring back Jack Layton from the grave, I think NDP supporters would be loving it, wouldn't they? Yeah, maybe. But you know, Jagmeet Singh is not a slam dunk to even win a His riding, riding in in Burnaby of British Columbia. Yeah. He seems increasingly disinterested in national politics. He had an embarrassing television um, interview with Evan uh, Solomon, mm-hmm. Solomon, um, which was a little unfair to him. To be fair, uh, but at the same time he does not come across as electable either. So you've got Trudeau, who for my money hasn't really delivered to the extent I would like him to. I'm not a huge Trudeau fan, but I look at Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh and I think there's no other alternative. Now, there's an election in Alberta provincially at the end of May. Given that the two right uh, of centre parties... Uh, the Conservatives and the Wild Rose have united to give us the United Conservative Party. It's hard to imagine, Tom, that party not winning, yeah. e- even though NDP is championing the oil patch, uh, even though they've been very bullish on the Alberta tar- uh, oil sands. You, you have to expect that Kenny will win that and create more antagonism between Alberta and Ottawa. Does that change your approach to what happens in Canada just socially or electorally in the fall? Interestingly, no. Uh, Alberta has traditionally gone conservative. I think they'll remain conservative. They, the conservatives might pick up a couple of I, I guess I'm wondering more if it changes the conversations we're all having and the way that the media is talking about the election and stuff. Possibly. But I think the election of Doug Ford may have galvanized or motivated the left-wing voters more mm-hmm. than the, the right-wing voters. I certainly wasn't suggesting that Trudeau would win less seats in Alberta. Sure. I don't think he's expecting to anyway. And to his credit, he's still you know trying to remedy this situation. I mean, some people say he's not doing enough and not handling this file appropriately. Um, but he could just write off Alberta, which he's not doing. No, he's in a difficult position as, as leader on, in particular with energy and pipelines. Yeah. He's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you yeah. don't. And in British Columbia, you know, I don't see a big swing in votes anywhere in British Columbia. The Conservatives might pick up a few more just based on the pipeline alone. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't see much of a change there. In Alberta, um, 
I do want to do a show on Alberta a little bit later on, but if they elect Jason Kenney, uh, and it looks like I agree with you, it's a slam yeah. dunk. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. You know, I think um, Notley is... She was she was delivered a poison chalice with Saudi Arabia flooding oil markets and dropping the price of oil. Uh, that wasn't her fault. She's I think, done, I think, everything she could. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and if they get Jason Kenney, who has spoken openly about separating from Canada, boy, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna get what they deserve. Closer to home, John, uh, the first past the post referendum lost, and it lost by a huge margin, which was disappointing to me, uh, and I think disappointing to you as well. I think we were both kind of fans of proportional representation. And we're not going to see this for a while now. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen it done better, but, uh, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, maybe that means we won't even see it at the federal level for a while either. I think, yeah, I think uh, um, proportional representation as an electoral issue is dead in the water for a little while. Mm -hmm. Also in British Columbia, the NDP's just rolled out a speculation tax, much to the chagrin of uh, the Liberals and basically anyone who has extra properties in the province. I think they bungled this a little bit, um, and the NDP's not looking great. This, coupled with um, the the first-past-the-post referendum, which was a colossal failure, maybe we're going to see a disintegration of the cozy relationship between the Green Party and the NDP. (laughs) Which probably was inevitable when it was cobbled together after that election two years ago. So maybe before the end of the year, we might see another election in British Columbia. If that falls and there's a vote of non-confidence, I don't see the Greens in a winning position right now. I think it had a lot of leverage, and I don't see much of that leverage anymore. So all this is probably contingent on the economy. So let's talk about that economy for a minute, John. I've just been redoing my mortgage, trying to predict what's going to happen with mortgage rates, which are often tied to an economy. What do you see? Well, there are darkening clouds on the horizon right now. Everyone's seeing this. Um, The question, of course, is do you talk about darkening skies and say there could be a recession or some kind of a crash or a correction in the market? Everyone says there could be one. Do you actually think there will be one? Mm, I don't know. What do you think? I'm going to say no, and there's a couple of reasons why I say no. I do see a recession, but I don't see a crash like 2008. And one of the biggest reasons why is I think uh, the solidifying of the USMCA, or NAFTA 2.0, is going to provide enough stability in the economies of Canada, Mexico, and the United States that it will weather the the storm that is coming with his trade war with China. The trade war with China is, is probably the biggest reason why this crash is coming yeah. or this recession is coming. Uh, I see it as a recession. I see it as a short recession. Uh, and also I see uh, an, a new president coming into America by the end of the year anyway who will undo a lot of this um, truculent behavior that we're seeing from the current administration. But no, probably not change any fiscal policy. Arguably, I could see them, I could see whoever it is, if it's Pence, who's a traditional Republican, I could see him bashing down uh, tariff barriers that Trump has been putting in. So I I do, that's where I'm leaning on this one. I'm no expert on the economy. You know, if I was, I would, uh, I'd have a lot more money than I do right now. But this is what I I think is going to happen. Okay. And of course, economic issues are tied up with other global issues. Um, One of my predictions is, we already saw a hint of this over the last couple of weeks. I think Trump, one of his grand strategies, you know, 
pull out of the Iran deal, pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. Um, I think ultimately he wants to pull out of NATO, and I think he's going to start making moves on that front, which combined with the behavior of Russia and combined with the Mueller inquiry, which is you know looking into whether or not Trump is in collusion with, if not owned by Russian um, operatives, uh, that's a really dangerous area for him to go into and will lead to a lot of uncertainty in the markets and in just in society. Global geopolitical instability, the kind of which we haven't really seen since the darkest days of the Cold War. And the kind of which Putin has been dreaming about. Because in this chaos, he's going to sow the seeds of his greater empire, which is what he wants. So my big prediction for the year, John... Putin is going to have a land grab somewhere, maybe in the Baltic states, maybe in the Ukraine, maybe in the Caucasus regions, and he's going to do it while there's chaos in the United States and around NATO, and no one is going to do a damn thing about it. And if you combine that with some kind of an economic correction, and then combine it with uh, climate you know, catastrophes, some kind of a, ooh, if there were a war, if there were an attack on a power grid, if there were an epidemic, oh man, ugly. Are we being pretty dire here? Maybe we're just going to revisit the 1930s all over again. They say that history doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes. 